0: (sighs) Hey, 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 welcome in to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Matty Matt, along with the great narrator, Todd Fox, and our our third host, I'm sorry, (laughs) Big Renee. There we go. So we're back. All three of us are back. We're back in live, and uh, we're here to record another show. I missed last week's show. Had to take care of some personal things, but I'm back and uh, I'm excited to hear what we got to talk about today. I have no idea, don't know anything. So uh I'm kind of excited. We but missed you. You missed oh, I hope you guys did miss me.
1: Yeah, last week's cases uh were involved. Did you hear them the episode? I didn't get a chance to. Oh, okay. Do you want to hear them or well, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you, talk, wanna, talk, you okay. wanna give an
0: abbreviated yeah. version. I'll tell you afterwards. Okay, All right. But uh anyways, uh Look us up. Look us up under our Spotify and our beam Look us up under the True Crime Podcast and look us up under Instagram mm-hmm. for True Crime Podcast. Okay, let's get into this. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. I don't even know who it is, the yep. suspect, or what it is, but I'm interested to know.
1: Okay, you guys ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Alright, so this this story is called The Ghosts of El Segundo. El Segundo? El Segundo, California. California? California. What? We have a Cali crime story. That's close. That's real close. (laughs) So, in Los Angeles County, there are over 10 million people rated the most dangerous city in the U.S. to be a police officer nowadays. I believe it. Yeah, because of all the shootings (laughs) and everything. Mm -hmm. Every day, uh, one day, or every day in a year... At least one police officer is shot at. Really? Yeah, that's that's the ratio. Dang! Man. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. There's so some sort because just the other day, uh, a few blocks over, there was an officer-involved shooting. Wait, what year was this? Nineteen fifty-seven. Wow, wow
0: we going back to the 50s. and In the 50s? No, no that's today. Oh, that's, oh okay, okay, yeah. okay. okay all right, but all right.
1: but I was getting to that because, see, I, I wrote everything out. Oh, I'm it. sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> my mind just went all the way. Yeah, huh? I did my research and did a writing. Okay. okay. Okay, sorry okay. about that. No, you're good, you're good. <laughs> So our story begins in 1957. <clears> okay. And our story revolves, well, it doesn't revolve, but it begins with a man, well, a teenager, Bob Dewar, who was a 17-year-old junior high school student. Who had just finished his junior year at uh, El Segundo High and he purchased a 1949 Ford, uh, I think a Sabre or something like that. Okay. Him and his friends were enjoying high school up until that point. It was uh, the uh, summertime now and they were getting ready to be seniors. It was around June. And they were doing the normal things that teenagers do, which Mm -hmm. is going to dance socials, hanging out, going to drive-ins, the malt shops. sounds very 50-ish, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So as school ended and the summer break got into full swing, they were enjoying all these activities. Okay. So one night they went to a friend's house, played games, hung out, listened to music, danced a little bit. Him and his good friend, who was not named, had a a 15-year-old girlfriend. And so did Bob. Okay. Not... not. Then they're 17? Yeah, they're 17. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't... It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not bad. It's that. still in that realm of... It's still in that, that realm. Okay. like, like a junior and freshman. Yeah, yeah. yeah pretty like, much. We're all right. I mean, I mean, the parents aren't thrilled about it, yeah. but, you know...
0: Yeah, it's high. It's high. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, so,
1: so when, you, when you get the scope of things, it's not like 17 and 15-year-olds now where you think, oh, they're highly experienced sexually mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. These are literally the 50s, so these kids... And like you even mentioned in the story, Bob's a virgin; he's never gone past first base even. Oh, so he's got the car. Okay, he's got the girl for the night. Mm-hmm. Okay, his buddy's got the girl. Where are you getting at? They're riding. Well, he thinks, "Hey, I've heard of this place called Lovers Lane in El Segundo. Oh, oh. snap! Yeah, I heard it's Very got a fifty-ish. Okay, yeah, Lovers Lane. It's got a great view of the airplanes coming in. Now we talk into oh, El right. Segundo Airport." They're coming in. They're coming in, yeah. All right. So, pause. Pause. Yeah. <laughs> and give him the goal sign. <laughs> and the difference between 1950s and 2020s or even 2090s, whatever you want to call it. Okay. The fact is, homeboy's just thinking of, I want to I want to make out. That's his ultimate yeah. goal. He's not, he's not thinking about anything else. Or as we say in the 2000s, they want to scam. They want to scam, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Late 90s, early 2000s reference. I like yeah. that. I like that. So, uh, so they went to the, they went to Lover's Lane. They drove up there. Everything was fine. You know, the guys were thinking, okay, you know, we might get lucky tonight and make out. what a name like Lover's Lane, I yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. So. you would think so, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, they were right. Okay, things got a little hot and heavy. Things chemistry with both girls worked out right. Okay, it got so hot and heavy that the windows got fogged up. So Bob, one of the girls, says, oh, I can't see outside. Well, you don't need to see outside. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's foggy. It's getting a little hot in here. You know, his line was probably, well, yeah, I'm in here. (laughs) Oh, this guy. (laughs) This guy. So so Bob does the next best thing because he's like, okay, you know, it is too foggy up in here. What if someone comes by? They're going to think something else and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So he rolls the window down. Seconds after he rolls the window down. All of a sudden, a man came to the window, shined a flashlight inside, and put a gun through that window and said, This is a robbery. Put your hands up. Dang. Oh, man. So, a makeout session between four innocent teenagers has now turned into something life threatening. Just like that. So, even then, when it happened, Bob's buddy thought it was a joke. He thought it was okay. It's probably an older kid coming up trying to scare us, whatnot, or even a cop. You know, maybe sick, twisted human, right? Yeah, yeah. Nope. <clears throat> the man had gloves and tape. Oh yeah, that's the sign. He said, yep. "See, so he got all four of them at gunpoint to get out of the car. He had them tape each other up with their hands, and he put tape over their eyes. Now so that's a bad sign. So we're talking uh, about, yeah, it's, yeah. We're talking about duct tape too." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over your yeah. eyes, bro. Oh, that's, that, gonna, no, that's gonna, a bad sign. That's gonna hurt. Yeah. You take scotch tape and you put it on your skin and try to remove it, and that's gonna pull some hairs and you're gonna be like, ouch, that hurt. Yep. Duct tape, duct tape is too. gonna take your eyebrows off. Yeah,
0: duct tape ain't no joke.
1: Uh-uh. Yeah. Dang. So, so these guys <clears throat> jacked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. I dude. hope
0: they had their pants up when he said put your hands up. <sighs>
1: <laughs> Why do you always jump Damn ahead? <laughs> I'm am trying to get to this. Okay, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry, man. That we think a story, We man. think like. <laughs> no know, I, I I like you guys to jump in. Believe me, I do. But this is like when he does. It's like, damn. You are, <laughs> <laughs> see, see we see, brothers, see, man. See, look at it. Look, see, we missed this last. <laughs> time. Yes, exactly, exactly. All right, my bad, my bad. Go ahead, go ahead. So he literally tells them something that really gets all of them like scared. To I mean, if they're not already scared, they're already they're freaking out. Okay. He starts talking to himself. He says, Okay, what do I do with them now? That he's got him out of the car. Yo, this guy's psyched. <clears throat> so he told all of them to undress. Take off all their clothes. So you're you're so he You're bound and you still got <laughs> That's gotta, what I'm saying, how you gonna do that? <laughs> so it's not mentioned there, but somehow they took off their clothes. All of them, All four of them. So these are kids who haven't you know, if they would have seen one of them in a bra <laughs> or undies, they'd be like, oh, my God, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. They're all naked. So how uncomfortable is that? Oh, yeah. So let me let me give you also uh, some little background on this. Elsa Segundo is a beach town community. Mm-hmm. At the time, it had a lot of oil rigs. So there was a lot of oil uh, open area. And they had the ocean breeze. This is 12 o'clock on a June 22nd in 1957. So it's. Kind of chilly. If you've ever been in that it's area, cold. it's a little chilly. Mm-hmm. So it's about in the fifties, sixties. You're completely butt naked now. In a park with a breeze. Ooh. At yeah, night, no good. And no bueno. Yeah, yeah. And it's usually foggy down there too. So you got that going on too. Ooh. <clears throat> so he tied the two boys up to the car with a, with a tape, like with their hands and everything else like that. He tied them up. He had to some, the car? Yeah. To the rope. Like he had he had a rope. Oh, okay, and okay, and okay, and okay. Tied him. Got gotcha, you, got gotcha. And then, uh, to the utter dismay of the others, he takes one of the girls into the car and proceeds to rape one of the girls. The 15-year-old. The 15-year-old? Yeah. Ah, So they're over there hearing the screams, the moans. It's a wide-open park. There's just no one else around at that time. oh, that's jacked up, man. Yeah, so so, while he does his business, he then gets out of the car and starts in on the second one. Same thing. And they had to listen to the whole thing. So this is about 30 to 40 minutes later after the initial confrontation. They're still in agony. They can't believe it. He, to their horror, it went on for 40 minutes. They started feeling this is not going to end up well at all. Yeah. You know, something's going to happen. Yeah. He then took the girls out. Put the tape around Or you know Had the tape around their eyes again Took the last girl out Tied her up Same thing They're now In the same way they were When they first got out of the car Yeah Then he says Start marching into the field And he goes I've got to kill you And so oh, that's jacked Damn uh, So he has the gun pointed at him And he forces him into the field I don't know if I could do that They start walking Trembling Bob later says that he couldn't feel his feet. He didn't even know he was walking and still upright. He was that scared. And he just, things started to move closer, like, you know, trees that were far away, and he didn't know how he was getting there. That's how, out of his mind, he was frightened. He thought, at any moment, I'm going to take one in the back of the head. Because the guy had a six-shooter, he's going to shoot him. Dang.
0: He's just, just preparing for the end. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know if I would have done that, man.
1: You're counting the seconds. Yeah,
0: You're going to die anyway. Then my, in my head, I'm like, you're going to die. I might as well try
1: fighting. But here's the first twist. Driver gets into his car, into their 49 car. Okay. As they're still walking, turns it on, turns the lights on, turns the brights on, turns the car around facing them to their backside. They could see the lights shining that way, and all of a sudden they're thinking, oh, crap, he's going to run us over. Yep. Or he's going to drive by and shoot us. Yep. Starts to pull the car close and then just makes a quick turnaround and takes off. Leaves him in the middle of the field. Just the middle of the field. Are you serious? Yeah. Left him. Just like that? Just like that. Dang. So he takes off and they're in the middle of a huge park. And they're still they're tape, still tied up. still Can't see anything? Can't see nothing. Ooh. Wow. That's bad. <clears throat> so as they take off, as, as the perpetrator takes off, they're trying to now get to somewhere and find somewhere to, to go find somebody, some kind of noise. They start hearing things in the distance, and they just walk that way together to a house that's off the park way down the way. They make contact with those people, bang on the door. They person comes out, and, and basically, oh, my God, you know, they start like, they can't even say what's on their mind because they're so freezing. Yeah, yeah. And they're so shocked and scared. So, at that very same point, they make contact with that family that makes the phone call to call El Segundo Police. The perpetrator is on his way between Rosecrans and Sepulveda Boulevard. I know exactly where that is. I know where that is. He comes comes to a red light at 1222 a.m., stops at the red light, gets impatient, and then proceeds to just drive right through because there's no traffic. Mm -hmm. Not seeing an unmarked police car. Right around the corner. Stupid. Police car comes up, lights them up, pulls them over. In the patrol car that night, it was two young police officers, both in their 20s. 29-year-old Officer Richard Phillips and 25-year-old Milton Curtis. The two decided to pull the 49 Ford over because for a traffic stop. As they made the traffic stop, another police car with two police officers named James Gilbert, 28, and Charlie Porter, 27, drove by. The traffic stop of the 49 Ford and the fellow two fellow officers okay they saw the officer Phillips writing a citation and he gave the okay sign by going like this like shaking the book like hey this is routine we're just writing a citation for the red light officer um Porter was in the passenger side happened to look over saw the the person and they just drove on like okay you know you're doing your thing because <clears throat> they were going to see if they needed assistance. They didn't need assistance. Mm-hmm. Not knowing, these four cops did not know that's the same dude that was involved with the rape and mm-hmm. the torture and the kidding What he did. What earlier. he did up there earlier. So not more than a minute, and I mean a minute, goes by. Both Gilbert and Porter drive off, not knowing that would be the last time they would see their fellow officers alive. Oh, I I, I knew it. I knew it. Just a minute later, a call came over the radio. Phillips from uh, Officer Phillips saying, Officer down, Officer down. The officers raced back around the corner. They had only gone four blocks down. Raced back to, uh, to the scene to see Phillips lying in a ditch on the passenger side of the car and Curtis on the driver's side slumped over the steering wheel. No sign of the suspect or the 49 Ford. Phillips was... Uh, fatally shot three times in the back. Curtis was shot three times in the torso and the stomach area. Curtis was already dead when Gilbert checked his pulse. The call came in at 1.25. I'm sorry, it was 1.22 p.m. when it, when the shooting happened. Mm-hmm. And in a short time it took for the officers to get back there, the killer was vanished into the El Segundo night. Wow. Yep. So the killer however ditched the car five blocks away. Within five, 15 minutes of the actual call, there was over a hundred police officers and detectives emerged from the scene from LA. Just the call went out, and everyone and their mama came down there. Damn. Yeah, <clears throat> um, you know, that's it. jacked up, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two officers in their prime, both had families. Uh, the twenty-five-year-old was a rookie, only two two uh, months on the job. Wow. Up. Damn. Yep. And then the twenty-nine-year-old uh, had a family as well. I mean, you can't even get mad at the other two officers because you, you, you wouldn't think anything yeah, like it's just, that. Yeah, you know, it was just, just like a, routine.
0: R- a routine
1: stop yeah. with a citation, and that's but, it.
0: But I know it haunt them for, for I
1: don't know, for how long. <sighs> yeah, that was that was tough, man. That was really tough. Mm. So <clears throat> they frantically tried to to uh, find a suspect. It would launch one of the uh, largest uh, manhunts in California history. Uh, Gene Curtis, who is a... Uh, Officer Curtis's wife got the call at 4 a.m. that night that her that she was now a widow at 23 years old, Dang. with her two kids that would no longer see their dad. The residents of Elsa Gundel were horrified to wake up to the news of their t- uh, that they lost two of their own police officers that were murdered in cold blood, and would be one of Los, Los Angeles would become one day Los Ange- one of Los Angeles's oldest unsolved cases. Dang! Wow. And haunting the city for years to come. The FBI that night joined the or later the next day joined the hunt along with LA, uh, several L.A. police agencies. The two cases weren't even linked because everyone focused on the murder. That other thing was just like a random thing they, they thought was completely separate. It wouldn't be linked for two or three weeks. Dang. So the the murder had such a huge lead on the cops. It was just like an afterthought. <clears throat> yeah. 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 And it wasn't until they realized. Wait a minute. Your car was stolen. It was a 49 Ford. Oh, crap. That's the same car we were looking for. And so what happened is uh, the first homicide detective that night was Howard Speaks. I do have a question to go go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. When the officers
0: ran his plates, did they get his name?
1: Well, back then, you would have to call in the plates, okay, and then they would have to go to dispatch, and the dispatch would have to look it up through the Got cards. It. it would take a while. Take, it wasn't like it was now. Nah. No, no. Okay. It okay, couldn't okay. just get instant like that. Gotcha. Hey, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It is the 50. Took its time <laughs> yeah. back then. And they weren't really considering it. They were just considering it. Hey, he was, he was impatient Traffic at a red police. light. Traffic Man. violation. Let's just give him a ticket, Johnson, and be he on the way. He didn't fit the description. No, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He was a white guy. So There he, you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> um, he was a, uh, what is it Howard Speaks was the first homicide detective on the scene Okay, he was amazed that Phillips uh, got off three shots before um, after being shot himself in the back um, he was one of the at the time one of the, the El Segundo police's best shooters mm. so when they found the car a few blocks away they found three bullet holes in it so he hit the target the thing was, when they investigated the car, they found a bullet fragment in the trunk. He hit the trunk, and two that went through the back windshield of the car. But they only found one bullet, meaning he must have been hit. He struck the dude. Yep. But they didn't see no blood, or they didn't find no blood, which was really weird. They didn't find no blood. And they only found two partial prints at the scene, on the, one on the steering wheel, I think... Yeah, yeah, two, two on the steering wheel on, on either side. There were partial prints. That's mm-hmm. all they had. Dang. Nothing not, else. Not much well, to go on. Well, he did have gloves on. So. Yeah, he had gloves. Oh, yeah.
0: And, yeah. That makes sense.
1: So, back in the day, it's not like you could take DNA and be like, oh, there's That's skin true. cells, That's there's true. all this stuff. That is true. That's all they had, dude. God. So, yeah. So, what happens, so man? What happens? So, you know, they're trying all this stuff. The, you know... The only thing they can get to a few days later is putting the two prints together. Okay. And when they put the two prints together, they were, able to, they were amazed they were able to get one solid print. But back then, there's no data, no database. You know, you Probably can't. Not much of nothing. Not yeah. much of anything. You'd have to have someone on file already, and you'd have to look painstakingly through all these books of people that have been booked, you know, for crimes, yeah. and then try to eliminate them is what they did. Over time, they put in so many resources to try to solve this case and try to f- find fingerprints. It just didn't work. So when they p- finally put the two cases together, they also had the, the kid's description of them and the officer that saw them briefly. And they put together one, one description, one drawing. That went into every newspaper on television. No bites. Bunch of leads, bunch of people accusing people, nothing so, meanwhile, while this is all going on, um, the city of El Segundo came together for candlelight vigils and also for, uh, you know, to bury their fallen comrades, you know, because they both both of them lived in El Segundo, because back then... They were homegrown boys, home boys. Yeah, because back then when, when you know, or, or nowadays, you have police officers that live in Chatsworth. But the, the work in, but working in like, Compton. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> you know? They don't want to be followed home. <laughs> no, they don't. No,
1: they don't. So there was a huge police funeral that was, I mean, officers from all over the Western United States came yeah. in and they did a big thing for both officers who were uh, unfortunately uh, in the line of duty. That yes, sir. Sucks. And yes, sir. So mm-hmm. police thought this was going to be a matter of time before they made arrest they thought at some point someone's gonna say something, something's gonna come out. They ran through over three thousand people, questioning, uh, accusing everything, right? But nothing, nothing came of anything. And eventually, the leads dried up, and people moved on, and the families were stuck, and there was no justice. So, as years went on, Elsa Gundo came up with a uh, cold case unit, and. Uh, the detectives Dan Cleary and Kevin Lower assigned the very cold case that, at this point, it was forty years later.
0: Forty years later. Forty years later. So the nineties? Ninety-seven.
1: No, this was two thousand and two, when they oh, got the case. Okay. okay. Yeah. Fears so, off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know, right? <laughs> so they had looked at all the evidence. They re-examined everything from all the three thousand people that, that were talked to. Uh, they went through the files. They were figuring out, uh, you know. You know, we don't have much. There's just nothing here. Uh, they disregarded those files. And in 2002, a woman called in and said that her uncle had been bragging about making a murder uh, or killing these cops years ago. So they investigated the uncle. They ran his fingerprints to that fingerprint. Nothing. And they just realized it was another, like, domestic, oh, I'm going to blame him. I'm going to, you know, get him in trouble type yeah. thing. But what that key... Um, just out of the blue tip, did uh-huh. was bring that case to the top of the file to where Is people because of that one tip. Yeah, because that one tip I mean, it was a cold case, they were assigned the case, but they weren't really working it. And they had looked at stuff and they had pretty much just given up on it not given up on it, but like we have other cold cases to do. But that tip kind of like reinvigorated those two detectives. And then they were like, you know what, we gotta solve this one because this was one of our brothers from way back. Yeah. We, gotta, we gotta take it. There's still people alive that are gonna they you know, remember this, yeah, they remember yeah. this. And this community is never really, in their minds, uh, what do you call it, healed. So they took the print, um, and and they decided, you know what, the F, and it was after 9/11. They figured, you know, now the FBI has this CODIS system, to mm-hmm. where you can enter fingerprints into the system, and if you've ever been arrested, your prints on file. Yeah. So they're like, let's just take a shot in the dark. So they throw it into CODIS. Not more than 20 minutes later, they got a hit. Dang. They got a hit. The FBI called him and said your your man is living in South Carolina. His name is Gerald F. Mason They matched the fingerprint to a case from a uh, that was on Regular paper fingerprints that was added into the system get this He made a burglary locally in South Carolina in 1956 They kept his fingerprints and then when the system was initiated, they threw everyone's prints into the system, uh-huh. including his from 1956. Wow. What
0: are wow. the odds? What are the odds? <laughs> what are the One in odds? odds. Wait, here's my question.
1: He drove all the way from Cali to, to All the North way to Carolina. South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, he really had a big lead on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He pretty much almost disappeared. Like, dis- disappeared. And here was the thing that shocked the police. Number one, that he was alive. Number two... That he wasn't a, uh, a hardcore criminal because you would think with a background like that, yeah. you know, you're thinking, okay, well, he had robbery, then he escalated to rape, and then he did murder. You would think he's got, like, this huge rap sheet. You know, he's probably in jail now. Okay. No. Wow. You want to know what he's doing? Lived what? He, was, he was a pastor. He was linked to no other crimes. Never even got a citation.
0: Now, that's how you, you do the crime and
1: disappear. When they, when they researched Gerald, he was quite the opposite. He was retired from his company that he started himself, mm-hmm. living in a wealthy neighborhood in South Carolina, married with four children and a bunch of grandchildren. Dang. And a respected member in the community who would always go bend over backwards to repair anything that you had uh, issues on your house. He was part of a bowling league. Dick. Well, that makes wow. sense. He was in a golf club. <laughs> what and, the freak? And, and he, he he also had very high influential friends in in the local city government. Get the
0: heck out of here, man! Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm not advocating what he did was right, but the way he did it, that's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> you really? You want to really get away? Yeah. With you want to get away with it? You yep, yep. you blend in. Yeah, well, you're you're not not a suspect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy, right? Yeah, because you're right. You would have thought someone like that would have had a rat sheet as long as, you know.
1: And so here's the other piece of evidence that came to the forefront, too. The cops needed more evidence to convict him. What happened was, in 1960, four years after the murder, a few blocks from where the car was found, Mr. uh, Gerald, he actually... um, Ditched a weapon, a gun. Mm-hmm. It was found four years later by a kid who had been living in the neighborhood since 1956 doing some gardening work for his mom. He was digging up a hole for a flower wow. bed, and the gun just happened to be right it there. It just popped up. It popped up. So he gave it to the police, and it had spent shells, all six spent shells. Because he remember, he shot both cops three times. The shells were right there. The serial number and everything was still on the, on the, the gun. So the cops had traced the gun back. Wow. Yeah, the cops had traced the gun back to Sears. It was sold in nineteen fifty six at a Sears in Shreveport, Louisiana.
0: Hey, that's my family. So <laughs> 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 my family from there. i probably
1: and here's be related. And here's the other thing. As they're cause they're collecting evidence on this guy, right? They know it's him. But well, here's the other trippy thing. You know how they caught a break with that other stuff in nineteen fifty six? Sears still had all the records of their gun Get cells. The hell
0: what really?
1: So this is two thousand two. Yes, and they still had the record. They still had the record. Get the heck out of here! So that's <laughs> crazy. They, they but they're <laughs> out of business now. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, <laughs> good thing they got to him when good they did. Good thing they got to him <laughs> when they were still in business. Ooh, yeah.
0: Eighteen years soon. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. So, so they're going through, and they look at the paperwork, and they're like, on the paperwork, he signed his name Gerald Simon. That's not his real name; it's an alias. But the way he wrote Gerald, Gerald was the same way he wrote it on all his documentations mm. that the FBI later got. The detectives got all their stuff, you know, all his stuff You would write for government, city signatures or whatever, signed the exact same way, almost to the point to where the handwriting specialist for the FBI said, I am 99% sure that's your guy. He writes his G's the same way. They analyzed it up and down so they're like, okay, that's two forms of evidence. We got his fingerprint, we got his signature. We're just missing one other you know, one other thing. So they're they're trying to figure out why was he was he down there in the first place. Mm-hmm. So when they filed the warrant, they flew out to South Carolina first off. And they're like we're going to go with these two things anyway. We're you know, we 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 got this guy. Um when they pulled up, they have tape of him and it's funny to listen to it cuz he goes uh they go, "Hello Mr. Mason." And uh, he goes, like, "Who are you guys?" And they pulled up at his house. He said, "We're homicide detectives from the Los Angeles uh, county and we're here to talk to you about an incident that occurred in 1957 his face his chin just dropped and gerald sat down in his easy chair and he said my god that's why you're here and his wife is in the background saying what's going on what's going on and then they just automatically like handcuff him and he's like honey i'm going to jail and they search his house and in secret areas in the house that he revealed to them that his family didn't know about, he had several weapons. Shotgun, six shooters, nine millimeter. Wow. The family had no idea he wow. had his weapons. That was their guy. Yep, yep. So in, in all, it took 46 years to find Mr. Gerald. 46 years. And... Police, Dang. yeah, police uh found out this guy never committed a crime. Like I said, family man owned his own business. Um, the community uh, in South Carolina, the city actually put up the money t- and paid for out. his lawyers. No, they didn't bail him out, oh. but because they wouldn't let him out, they, they oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So they paid for his lawyers and they went to city hall and they were saying, There's no way this is a guy, this has to be mistaken identity. There's no way. That this dude murdered these people. You know, you guys are screwed up. The cops made a mistake. He's, he's been a family man. They started, people were speaking out for him, just Damn. furious that it was him. So they had to, they had to make it, um, the police really had to make this come through because he hadn't confessed yet. And they needed to figure out, you know, what's going to be the thing that's going to solve this or, or convince people. So one of the detectives said, you know what? Take off that shirt. So he took off his shirt, and then they looked. and bullet what, wound. Bullet wound, scar in the back right shoulder from all those years ago.
0: Wow. And they were able to tell?
1: The bullet was still in there. Get the heck they out of They ran an x-ray, and the bullet was still. Oh, it was still. It was get lodged, the heck out of it here. It was lodged in his collarbone. still right there.
0: What the... That's crazy. <laughs> the exact
1: bullet that came from the gun that they recovered from the spent shells. That was it.
0: So that officer really that, was a good thing. That, that, he that s- last shot.
1: <laughs> he yep. solved his own murder. Yep. Because the other stuff, unless he confessed, was hearsay, they could still... You know, he always come up with something for a fingerprint. Yeah. You know, and you could delay it, whatever, right? But that looked to be too much. So on the court date, the officer who lifted the fingerprint, um, officer speaks, is at that t- at that time is in his late 80s. Was that the was that the thing? He's like, there was cops coming in on their canes and wheelchairs from retirement from way wow. back. That, that wanted to see this guy fry. Dang. And they had cops that were new that wanted to go in there and see this because it was incredible. 46 years later, and they got the dude. So he came in there, and they're they're expecting a long, drawn out thing, you know, sort of like the Golden State yeah. Killer. It's going to be a long, freaking two three year th- deal. Right away, he su- surprised everybody, including his lawyer, and said, "I'm guilty, and I, I plead guilty to all charges. I did it. I did it."
0: Did they charge him for the uh, the the uh, rape and all the other stuff? No, just for Un- murder? unfortunately
1: because uh, murder has no statute of limitations, but rape does. Mm. So. Got it. It's long gone for yeah, rape. Yeah. Got you. All right. So at that point, that was 2004. Um, the cops still wanted to interview him after because they wanted to know, how the hell did you wind up in Los Angeles from South Carolina yeah. and then go back? Like, what was your deal? And it was really disappointing at the, his reasons. It disappointed them, like, not as far, because it just, it was very simple. And there wasn't really a rhyme or reason for it. Mm-hmm. He literally stated that his life was falling apart in South Carolina. He didn't get along with his parents. He was a teenager at the time, too. Himself, he was about maybe 18, 19 years old, and he just decided, "I got to go out west." Everyone in the you know, it's Hollywood, it's movies, it's this and that. I'm gonna there's work over there. You know, it's after war, it's booming. I just want to get out of South Carolina. It's boring. You know, like I got nothing going on. Everyone hates me. So he hitchhiked all the way get the heck out of here but he made a stop in Shreveport and bought a gun for protection just in case something would happen yeah, yeah so then they said okay you got that for protection why did you have to use it on them on those kids like what was the whole point of that like why did you do it and he said honestly I have no idea he had no rhyme or reason why he did it pulled the stunt nothing wow or why he was even in that park at that time a night because at that time it was 12 20. Around that time, 12. Wait, what are midnight. you doing at the park exactly. at that time of right. night? So then so then the, the cops were like, dude, okay, that doesn't make... I mean, we'll take that, I guess, but why'd you shoot the cops? And he, and so simply he just said, because it was either them or me. I figured they would find out what I just did, and I'd be arrested or beaten, and he'll was something snapped. And as soon as he went back to... I guess write the citation or or to um to get something from the car i just got out and started firing he unloaded six shots on him he hit both of those guys three times he hit wow. both officers three times Wow! And the, and the one cop never had a chance but philip got the shot off that solved his own murder
0: yo he wow. went out like a g he said yeah you know if i'm gonna die at least I'm gonna get revenge. Yep. yep. He probably didn't know revenge some from revenge later. from the grave. <laughs> yeah, forty some years later, though. Forty six <laughs> years later, man. Dang,
1: dude. The only good thing too was that the families were able to give their victim impact statements. Both the the wife was still alive at the time. His wife. The, yeah, his wife, the officer. The officer Phillips, and uh, she gave testimony saying that you know you robbed us of our husband, and the son was able to uh, to to give his testimony too. Unfortunately, the son would die because this was, this was in 2004. The son would die just three years later Dang. in his 50s. So the, the suspect outlived him. And uh, what is it? The, uh, the Speaks, the original guy who found the fingerprints that led to the identification, he passed away in 2007. So three years later as Dang. well. Um, but he was old and, and he was very satisfied. He cried a lot at the, the thing. So that was good to see. Over 100 detectives chased this dude for 46 years Whew. before they finally caught him. Wow. They didn't give up. No, they didn't. Nope. Uh, Mason, uh, though, uh, he died in 2017. That's the one who... Just yeah, recent. Yeah, just recently. He uh, Two life sentences he got for that. He was never going to get <sighs> he out. He was never go, yeah No. And his family, interesting enough, disowned him. Like his kids, wife, no one ever came to see him because they felt that he lived a lie and that you know it was all sham yeah and the family just was they went from one of the most outstanding families in the neighborhood to just yeah he did that and no one looked at them the same they actually had to move sell off the properties everything wow. so he changed that
0: one thing changed everyone's lives
1: so many lives dude so many lives so the wife didn't i mean it's crazy how you could live with someone for 46 years and hold that in you like like there's stuff that I tell my wife that I don't need to tell her that I've done or the, or, or things that you you felt that are even like you know remotely screwy. You kind of tell your wife because like, well, I don't want you to find out later, or this is yeah. bothering me because they're like your best friend or whatever. Mm-hmm. You at first, tell them. yeah, you tell yeah. them. Yeah. And dude, I mean, <laughs> that's hey. pretty big, dude. <laughs>
0: Let's just say he wasn't no snitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean. I'm not, like I said, I'm not advocating violence, but he did it perfectly. Well, I mean, he still got caught. He almost committed yeah. the perfect yeah. murder. He almost committed the perfect murder.
1: And get, almost. And get this one other side note. One of the uh, lawyers, including the defense lawyer, came to the prosecution from L.A. and said, can't you give this guy a break? He lived as he was a model citizen for 46 years. And the the, 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 the prosecutor was like, and <laughs> he murdered two police officers. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> Throw that stuff out the door. It's, yeah. it's, it's like he, he put on a good face. Yeah, he saved face, but he's still gotta pay. Yep. So fortunately there was some justice. In total, he served uh, sixteen years in jail before he passed. So he got some come up in he natural, died. Natural natural causes. But he died of natural causes into his early eighties. He was in his early eighties. Mm. So Wow yeah, that's wow. that's the story. Of the ghost of Elsa Gundo, finally exacting the wow. revenge.
0: Well, I mean, I mean, he did get his justice. You know? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's the beauty part. Years later, I wish he would have. Well, like you said, there's no um, statue of limitation for um,
1: for murder. Rape. Oh, you I mean, mean for, rape.
0: for for rape. So, but he did get his
1: his his just due. Yeah, because I mean, mm-hmm. in a story we're gonna talk about later on down the, down the road, there's a lot of rape in it and. All that got pushed aside. He wasn't charged. The, the man wasn't charged for it. It was only and that the murder. Sucks,
0: man, because it's like you still did something. Yeah. So you know, yeah. like, yeah. if time goes by, you can kind of get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, just sucks to me.
1: And it's it's a weird thing. It's sort of a catch twenty two if you think about it. Why with with, with with rape, they look at it when you are convicted and caught, and everything goes down. They'll hold it against you, and they'll be like, "Oh man, you know, let's throw the book at this person because." they figure the person's alive to relive that memory over and over and over. Mm. And they'll get you sometimes more for the rape than as if you were to murder someone, you could be like, well, he did his time, you know, 10 to 12 years out of the 20. Okay. Let's let him loose. He's good behavior, but rape. They'll be like, nah, 25 years of life. Cause I've seen it. Like a, a guy will rape a kid and then it'll be like 25 years of life. Throw, throw the key away. A guy will murder someone in cold blood and then good behavior. Half that time he's out. It doesn't it, make sense. It, it, it should sense. be the other yeah, way around. It should be the other way around. <sighs> yet, yet, if you did the rape to, to in the same kind of fashion you did years ago, and it went over, I think it, I want to say it's seven to ten years or something like that, the statute of limitations, and you pass that, they could bring you to court, and you'd be like, pass the statute of limitations, I'm good. And then nothing they can do nothing about it. Nothing they nope, can do that's about some, it. They get um, off scot-free. That's what
0: makes no sense. Imagine somebody raped somebody, what, what years? is this, 2020? two thousand. Thirteen, and it's 2020. On April 1st, they're like, "Okay, I'm good. I can talk about it now." Yeah, you know,
1: you can literally walk around with a picture of that individual, and it says, "I raped this person," and no one could do anything about it. Well, I mean, the family could kill you. Well, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's street justice. But the just yeah, that's street justice. But the
0: justice system was like, well, I mean, it happened seven years ago. What <laughs> <we could> do. <laughs> that
1: doesn't make any but
0: sense. But I'm still affected. I'm sorry yeah right I, I up, mean man. even
1: with today's DNA stuff even if, if they have all that DNA on you you could still be like mm. it was like, if you was only a year earlier <laughs> we could have did something but so really, like, you did it mister <laughs> but go about your day
0: yep <laughs> have a good day that's whack. <laughs> that's whack, <I, laughs> yeah. man. I have to agree with you on that one yeah. that, that's a catch 22 for real
1: and those teenagers last part of the story grew up most of them I think two of them are still alive to this day but you, they still have the scars of oh yeah night, absolutely you know
0: Absolutely. So, mm.
1: that's pretty messed up.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, that was our show for today. That was a good one, actually. Very interesting. It was very right? interesting. Close Next to home, actually. I grew <laughs> up around over there, so you know, I'm glad this was in the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah. But um, justice was served in this one. So, thank you once again, Todd, for narrating this true crime story, which you do well, very well. Yes he Thanks does for, Yeah And Renee for chiming in mm-hmm. This is uh, another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast If you like what you heard Just give us a shout out and follow us up uh, Look us up under the Grinding True Crime Podcast On your social media streams So with that further ado We're signing off This is uh, Maddie, Matt Todd Fox And Big Renee. See ya next time Peace